Let's uh, talk. All right. And welcome to another edition of the Zero Stars Podcast, a podcast about video games and Florida. My name is Bob. And my name is Matt. And we're going to talk about video games, but not before we talk about America's dangling Chad, the state of Florida. <laughs> it's a pregnant Chad. Yes. Hanging off there. Uh, like Matt, a turkey what is swaddle. Your, what's your recent experience with Florida? Um, you are actually drinking out of a uh, koozie is it koozie it's a it's a beer koozie koozie. from doc ford's fish and grill rum bar fish rum bar and grill rum bar sounds a lot like lumbar um (laughs) this is a great that's from sanibel florida it's Uh uh that's the only place in florida i've ever been is sanibel florida captiva and sanibel island yeah they're two islands off like the coast by fort Myer. interesting i didn't know that that's my only experience with florida that's it yeah you've never gone to any of the parks uh no i don't really go to parks i mean the theme parks i don't go to those either Mm, that's a shame i uh just was in florida visiting family for christmas uh a holiday that's celebrated by a small group of people in the country known as america uh following a war against that day um that actually ended very poorly for the people who celebrate christmas it's strange Uh, yeah i hear they're all in bunkers somewhere. yeah just underground like fallout (laughs) um so i was in florida and uh, we did go to some of the theme parks. We went to Universal Studios and saw Harry Potter World. And it was really cool. I is would that, highly recommend it. Is the school there like a fully functioning university? Yeah, it is. So I couldn't stay for uh, a full term, right? Um, yeah. But we still fought like the Lord of Darkness and did normal school stuff, rode a train. Um, it's really impressive. I Harry Potter World is like shameless and dumb and commercial and super impressive. Would you, not to put this on a tangent. (laughs) Oh, no, a tangent. Um, But would you consider yourself, I mean, I think that there's like a a large number of video game people who are also theme park people, and it's because they appeal to similar aspects of their their interest in character. Would you say that your interest in theme parks is is related to your interest interest in video games? Uh, Potentially. I mean, what I love about theme parks is that they are constructed in this very thoughtful way where it just is totally unnatural and strange and the streets are all clean and it's super catered to your needs. Yeah. Right? But and it's designed to look like as though it is a, an ecosystem. And in many ways it does function yeah. like an ecosystem. Yeah. It's, I always appreciate it. And I've grown to enjoy going to theme parks more as an adult, honestly, than I ever did as a kid, even yeah. just because once you start to grasp what is actually happening to present you, with this strange fantasy land, it becomes a lot more engaging because it's totally nuts. But I actually don't understand how theme parks function, but um, you just feel the amount of effort that goes into it, and that's super cool. Yeah, it always feels vaguely insidious to me, though, at the same time, as though there are, like, bodies everywhere. Well, that's because there's bodies everywhere. (laughs) I uh my primary experience with theme parks is actually just Disneyland and I I do like I like the older rides at Disneyland a lot like Mr. Toad's Wild Ride and stuff like that yeah um, which also is probably explains why I like the beginning of Bioshock Infinite so much 
But Bioshock Infinite is the most theme park video game probably ever made. Oh, 100%. And I think that's kind of one of the most pleasurable parts of it. But it's especially the most, in many ways, like Disneyland. Yeah. As opposed to Disney World. Yeah, and that Even there's a latent you... racism under a lot of yeah. it. <laughs> uh, oh, well done. <laughs> so anyways, enough about Florida. Uh, let's move on and talk about the news. Wait, are we really not going to talk about Florida anymore? I mean, do you have more? I thought you had more. Do you have more to talk about Florida? I got nothing. I'm actually going to talk about being in Florida during the games portion. So oh, okay. That we'll get there. Bring um, me the news. I was our news editor, and everybody knows that the Christmas season is a hot time for news. <laughs> is it? I don't know. No, it's not. I haven't uh, read the news. I have, I have four stories. Bring them. Number one, World Health Organization moves closer to recognizing gaming disorder uh is this different than gaming addiction it is basically that so they have a equivalent to the dsm which is like the diagnostic and statistics manual for what diseases are for doctors right there's an equivalent of that for the world health organization or um and it's called the icd the international compendium of diseases Mm-hmm. And uh, they are working out what they're going to put in 2018's version of this. And gaming disorder is in the running. Uh, I'm going to ask you, Matt, if you exhibit these symptoms. <clears throat> Do you have impaired control over gaming, the onset, frequency, intensity, duration, termination, or context of it? Duration? Can you control how much you play games sometimes? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes I can control it. Yeah, how about Stardew Valley? I played that an appropriate amount, considering <laughs> it was Stardew Valley. Considering it was your actual life for a time? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, do you uh, sometimes give increasing priority to gaming to the extent that gaming takes precedence over other life interests and daily activities? No, I don't have enough daily activities. They're pretty limited. Yeah, because you you wanted to carve that time out for gaming, clearly. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh I always shower. You're right. Yeah. Have you continued gaming or the escalation of gaming, uh, despite the occurrence of negative consequences? Depends on what you describe as negative. Well, it sounds like you don't do anything other than play video games, so you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, I don't ever feel better for not playing video games. Do you ever feel worse for having played them? Yes. But usually because they're bad. What I'm hearing right now is that you have gaming disorder. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think there's any way around this. Yeah, there's really no way to dodge it. I mean, the thing is, what makes me feel bad about playing video games is playing bad video games. I never felt bad about playing Stardew Valley for 32 hours. Right. Yeah, definitely the issue with video games is that it's very easy to waste time on a bad video game. More concerning to me, like what would throw up a red flag to me would be if someone that you were friends with on, like, say, Switch, decided that they wanted to block the ability for their friends to see how many games and how much time they've been gaming. I did that. Yeah, I know you did that. That seems to me much more like much more like a red flag (laughs) is that you, you purposefully do not want to share your time spent gaming or what you are playing. Yeah. Yeah. Why Wait, it doesn't that? say what I'm playing. No, it doesn't even say what you're playing. Well, I just I just felt weird. Like, I kind of didn't want to look at the amount of time when you stack up. It's just like Mario next to Zelda next to Splatoon. I actually didn't really enjoy 
seeing all of that. You cannot look at it and let me look at it. See, and then I thought, I don't like the idea that other people are looking at this part of myself that I don't want to look at. That's really weird. So you have shame about the amount of time that you Well, I mean, this is games. also why I wear shirts, right? <laughs> it's because I'm like, oh, I have no... My body is a stick. It's like a stick person is an anatomically correct version of my body. And so I need to hide that. I don't I got to obscure this from everybody else. Um, I don't... I really don't know what to say other than that it did give me pause when i saw that and i began to wonder what was wrong well i'm glad you're looking out for me uh speaking of hidden things on the switch uh it's a sad day because the latest update to the switch firmware removes the golf game the hidden golf game that was a tribute to satoru Iwata. why would they do that it's unclear so uh for those not in the know there was a golf video game uh the nes golf yes uh under the um, file name Flog, hidden in the firmware of the Switch. And it was a motion control enabled version of this original Nintendo game, which is pretty cool. Um, And nobody could really get to it because to unlock it, it had to be Satoru Iwata's uh, death day, I think. Hmm. Um, And you had to do a specific hand motion, all this stuff. People knew it was there, but nobody could really access it. Um and now it's gone. So my question, Matt, is do we think that this is a precursor to them packaging motion control NES games up and selling them or otherwise sort of releasing this in a different way? I mean, it would be nice if they released it officially as the same sort of um, homage to Uwada, but I don't know whether this is necessarily an indication that they're about to sell it because it's not like anybody could access it anyway. And also it's just one NES golf title. Well, I'm wondering if there's more in there, perhaps like NES Golf. Uh, there was a good skiing game on the NES that I think there, you, could do you mean there games. were other games in the firmware that no one had found yet, uh, and no, they've removed all of them. No, I, I'm saying that I think that maybe there's going to be a package of these released. That'd be pretty cool, I yeah. guess. <laughs> you just like the dream more well, than I'll the reality. Well, I'll never know if you're playing it now. That's true. I uh, have a question. Actually, I want to go back to the game um, disorder. Does this apply just to video games, or was this also meant to apply to... to That's a great question. Uh, it like, would actually be in the same category as drugs, alcohol, and gambling. And gambling. Okay, so, but not necessarily like sports addictions. Like, speaking of golf, like people who have very serious golf addictions. Yeah, like our president? At, among other people. Among, like, the top CEOs in this country, <laughs> who all, all of whom... There's, a, there's an excellent Malcolm Gladwell podcast about this. Really? How you, yeah, about about like golf like rates of like golfing and like how much people t- time people spend golfing especially oh, among like the top earning men turn in, off in this, this podcast go download a different one malcolm gladwell he's a guy and apparently he'll tell you all about golfing yeah but not with awada no unfortunately not because no one can access that now uh Platinum Games, a game company that we like because yeah. they published Vanquish. And Metal Gear Solid, no, Metal Gear Rising, Revengeance. And yes, Metal Gear did. Revengeance Rising. <laughs> Metal Gear Rising, Revengeance. The Solid Rising. Yep, the Solid Rise. Uh, they, of those games, also made a Transformers game and a Korra, uh, like Avatar Last Airbender Korra game. Mm. I heard the Transformers one was good. I heard that. Uh, so these are beat-em-up games that were downloadable, and now they're gone. They were on the digital stores, and now they are no longer there. Um, and I don't really particularly care about these two games necessarily, but I do think it is an interesting 
in combination with the uh, loss of the golf game that we never got to play on the Switch, comment on just what happens to games that are only ever released digitally. Yeah, certainly. Well, I mean, I recently have been thinking about replacing my my PlayStation 4 with a PS4 Pro just because the my base PS4 is pretty old and starting to chug. And one of the things that I keep thinking about is the fact that PT is on there. Interesting. A, a title that you don't particularly care for and hasn't aged quite as well as no. it did when it initially came out. But I have a resistance to yeah. getting rid of it. Can you not transfer everything over wholesale? I don't think that that would transfer. Because I'd have to re-download it, and it's no longer available in the store. I wonder if you could just take the hard drive out. But I don't want a I don't want a 500 gig hard drive. Yeah, I wonder if you could transfer it all, like make a mirror copy of it. I mean, that's a good question. I'm sure that there are people actively looking into this because when they first removed PT from the store, people were selling their PS4s. Yeah, on eBay with the PT still installed. That's it's funny you're bringing this up because I just got a new iPhone. My old iPhone had a copy of Flappy Bird on it. Oh, yeah. uh, and I believe that it still worked, or at least I had. Like, but it doesn't the, work with i the uh, executable OS eleven. Yeah, right? and so now it, I have the icon, but it can't get the game. Mm. Like I think the code for the game still exists on my old iPhone, which is sort of weird because now it won't even let me download it. Uh, and I don't even like Flappy Bird that much, but it's such a relic of a specific point in time that I like having it, like an insane collector. Yeah. Um. And I will never have it again, but I am not going to delete that icon. So I will have that, I assume, when I'm like 90 yeah. and I get my iPhone 40. iPhone. My iPhone. iPhone. <laughs> I go into the Apple store and my hologram and I turn that thing on and there will be a Flappy Bird icon that doesn't work with iOS. 80. Yeah, 46 or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, that's sad. Is, I mean, these this brings up much larger questions of... Um, video game conservancy mm-hmm. conservation whatever um and there's a lot of cool internet archives out there where you can mess around with first of all old versions of operating systems which is always fun yeah i love but, that um also lots of old old games including as i think the av club points out every time they like publish a new piece on this lots of porn really? lots of porn porn games porn games yeah just tons of them porn games that early but like early like like early like strip poker games where yeah. you're slowly revealing like pixelated boobs. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, Nostalgia. Well, that sounds like a valuable use of the greatest resource mankind has ever known, the internet. <laughs> um, last story. Actually, this raises the question of, do you think that there are people out there, is there like a porn conservation movement? Oh, definitely. You know who's big into that? Who? Eminem. <laughs> Are you kidding? There is a there is a like Cribs episode or something <laughs> with Eminem, which is relatively recent. Like we're talking within, I want to say it's at most fifteen years old, but probably more recent than that. Where Eminem is showing you around his home and he takes you to this like collection of bookshelves. That are all the only bookshelves in his home. <laughs> yes, and they are all porn tapes and DVDs. Like they are physical porn that he has amassed with his untold riches uh and just the idea that no one has told eminem that this is on the internet and he is just consistently well we got to go to the store get these dvds and everybody in his posse is too scared to be like no em we don't we don't need to go to the store anymore you have a phone and he's put that landline away we gotta go like (laughs) i need new material so he just i think that 
future generations will remember Eminem not for his rapping, but for the way that he kept uh, many, many, many porn tapes in a collection for everybody for future generations. Loves that physical media. Yes. Uh, like the, the British Museum will eventually inherit this collection or something. <laughs> and it was just, yes, he was a rapper, but that's not his main contribution. Um, my last item, setting aside the relative size of Eminem's porn collection. Uh, what do you think? I, I don't want you to look at the sheet. What do you think the top two sellers in this country by revenue were this year? By revenue. By revenue. Um, Making money. Getting that paper. I'm going to guess Dota and... This is our ASMR podcast. (laughs) Can I say Dota and Dota 2? Uh, that doesn't make any sense because Dota One is free to play. But good, good guesses, <laughs> strong showing. You Dota might 3. be right. You could, you actually might be correct. Um, I have data from Activision <laughs> <laughs> that says they were Call of Duty, World War Two, and Destiny Two. There is no way. There is no way that Call of Duty World War II made more money than whatever weird shit Dota 2 sells I, like on the black market. I agree. I think it probably is uh, boxed game sales that they're talking about, okay. right? Because yeah, Dota... That makes more sense. Yeah, Dota would all be microtransactions. So I think you're correct. Mm-hmm. But um, I, the most interesting part of this to me was, one, Destiny 2. I contributed to this sales number. God, that game is not good. Number two, Call of Duty World War II. I haven't played it. It seems like Call of Duty. The most interesting thing for me is that apparently very soon after release, uh, Activision said that Call of Duty World War II, which I enjoy just referring to as World War II. As because, opposed to WW2? Well, but either way, uh-huh. that's a thing that happened. <laughs> and you just go, yeah, World War II sold pretty good. Pretty good sales for World War II. The, <laughs> the greatest conflict in human history. Um, so it sold twice as many copies as... Uh, Infinite Warfare, which was the last year's version. People of Call weren't of Duty. a fan of that one. No, people did not like that. But I'm just amazed at the resiliency of the Call of Duty brand and the idea that there's just still that audience that says, well, I don't like robots so much, but I love killing. <laughs> like, if only they could get rid of those robots. Old-fashioned killing. Yes. It just, I want to shoot people in the face. People, people want to kill as their granddad, not <laughs> as their... Not as their the grandchildren. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's what it comes down to. This is what this has revealed. And the poor sales on Titanfall as well. I guess that's true. That really, um, you've actually hit the nail on the Battlefield head. Battlefield 1 also sold really well. Is this all you had for the news? That's all. That's that's the only news that happened. I guess it's listed in like end of the year lists pretty much. Yeah. It's, been getting it's a lot just of end, end of the year, year lists. lists. Yeah. What's your game of the year? Zelda. What's your game of the year? Zelda. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no other option. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that means it's time to talk about video games. So uh, do you want to go first here? Yeah. How um, about it? I'll be honest. I have not had a great time gaming recently. I, that's not true. I played a lot of games. I've not played anything that particularly grabbed me. Um, one of the things I played in all my time off from you is Super Mario Odyssey. Yeah. That's a fun game. It it's is. a very good game. Um, there's no question that it is a very good game. I'm just going to complain about the I know. end of the game. You don't like it. Uh, I'm fine with it. I just think that 
like my interest in the game kind of dropped off after I completed the main story, which is really only maybe, you know, a, a small portion of the overall game. Yeah, th- I would say that that's actually kind of when the game starts yeah. in a weird way. My issue is that the um it's this is a game about collection and as we know from my I like to play survival horror games uh, a lot and I enjoy my collection to mean something and the coin economy in like inflates so much towards the end of the game where like getting coins you're just getting coins for the sake of getting coins more than anything else. Uh do you mean the moons? Or do you Yes, mean I'm sorry. I mean I mean moons. Yeah. yeah. Coins are still fun to get actually in the Coins are fun to get. Yeah. Um but the moons Man, the moon economy just inflates so significantly towards the end of the game that it ceases to be fun because I don't see the end goal. I just keep collecting for collecting's sake. And that's not to say that a lot of the ways that you collect moons isn't extraordinarily fun. It's super fun to collect moons. Yeah. Sometimes. Well... Other times, it's... It's that, it's that fine line of Mario frustration, but when I don't feel as though I'm moving towards an endpoint and I'm just kind of collecting for the sake of collecting... I start to kind of get sad. Well, I guess that my question... Or bored. Uh, so for me, what's fun about it is once you do this, once you get through the end of the game, and this is a little minor spoiler, but I hope you played Mario Odyssey by now. Fast forward 15 seconds. Yep. Not. Once you have gotten to the end of the game, you're able to see the location, the average location of every moon on a level. Yeah. So it stops being about collecting moons to progress... And more is like, I'm going to clear out all the moons on this level. And those challenges can be quite tricky. I I don't have an issue with that. I just don't feel the impulse. Okay. So I guess that what's... Yeah, the difference is that when I look at that map, I say, oh, here's a series of objectives. Yeah. And it's not about raising my overall moon total. So it doesn't matter. Like, moons aren't worth anything. But they offer a way for them to just show me jumping challenges that I get to do. Yeah. I would much prefer if they just stacked a bunch of challenges in front of me and I just yeah. took on those challenges and you just removed the the moons from the equation. You want Mario 3D land. Yeah. It sounds like it, yeah. but I mean, this is, uh, these are, these are personal complaints. These are not, I don't think these reflect the game itself. I just am less interested in collecting um, as an activity. And I also spent a lot of time in each of the worlds trying to mop up all I could while I was there, uh-huh. which I know is not how some people play. And I can I imagine did, I did that, that too. I, but I know some people don't. And I can imagine that if I had sort of like blasted through, it would have been much more fun to go back and explore potentially. I, I found taking long breaks from it and then just coming back and playing through a world and looking at the map, figuring out where there's stuff I didn't see, mm-hmm. trying to do it. It's been really enjoyable, but I play it very casually. Yes. It's not something uh, that triggers my gaming disorder where I lose track of time and all of a sudden it's 4 a.m. and I'm you know, I, I hungry. I almost never play games casually. Um, <laughs> you have a gaming disorder. We established <laughs> this. There's nothing casual about it. I mean, but I will play... T- if I play two hours of Mario Odyssey, I am playing like two hours with, with intense goals in mind of mm. progression. I don't uh, think is, that game plays to those... No, it doesn't. Yeah, that, that spirit yeah. is not in it. So I, I enjoyed it a lot. I'm really glad I played it. And I, I mean, obviously the platforming is 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 astounding it's and sublime. having gone back to some other games since it really kind of like points out how shitty platforming is in everything especially Zelda but um it Zelda's doing a very different thing but it is well, one of those sometimes but like there's in the new Zelda DLC oh, which I'm not going to get into cuz I'm just starting to play around with it there is one shrine that is all about platforming and I have I died more times in that shrine over the course of an hour than I had in the entire game up to that point. <laughs> That's awesome. Because it is funny. 
playing those games back to back, you definitely sort of are reminded of why when Ocarina of Time came out, there was not jumping in it. And there was jumping in Mario. And you realize Zelda doesn't need jumping. Like the jumping in Breath of the Wild is just a way to get you to start climbing. Exactly. And once you're climbing, you're not jumping. You're climbing. You're just walking. Yeah. It's and just I walking a different way. I wouldn't way. necessarily remove the jumping from it because it can feel really frictively invigorating when to you jump leap on a onto horse a, or when you jump on a tree. Yeah. yeah leaping, on, leaping onto something is satisfying as long as there's no peril immediately involved. When there's peril involved and you need to jump in order to avoid something, Ah. It's just lacking. It just yeah. it doesn't have the snap. But man, yeah, Mario, excellent. Um, so <laughs> I tried playing. Uh, I I got back from from Christmas vacation, and I really was like just like looking for some um, sort of dynamic storytelling in okay. the games. And so I downloaded this game called RimWorld. Have you heard of RimWorld? I have not. RimWorld is a, a game that's. I think it's still in early access. Um, that's sort of like Dwarf Fortress Light. My my eyes just lit up. I yeah. wish the viewer could have seen. You you just did like a kind of double take to me away and then back to me <laughs> and then your eyes just like well grew two sizes. It's a strange thing because does anybody want a lighter version of Dwarf? Like what is that even? Because the whole point of Dwarf Fortress oh. is how heavy it is. Well, let me put it this way. A lighter version of Dwarf Fortress is still really fucking heavy. <laughs> it is. I played this game for an hour and a half, realized I could get my Steam refund if I wanted and immediately got my Steam refund. Really? Yeah, it is way too much for me. Um, it looks like an incredible game and I'm sure that like the stories that it yields are fantastic so you're building a base in this game. yeah the entire conceit of the game is that you um crash land i mean there's like eight menus to get through of choices before you even get to the point where you can start playing the game sort of setting up your character not even setting up your character but like choosing like an appropriate place to crash land etc <laughs> oh my um and yeah, then characters as well. I mean, you you start with three. So you have these three survivors that crash land on a planet and you build a house. And within that house, you build beds. And like, it is constantly, it's not Minecraft because it's all over overhead, like um, not isometric, but like flat overhead 2D yep. graphics. Um, not It's not the uh, ASC2 graphics. ASCII. Like, ASCII, like uh, Dwarf Fortress. It's yep. like actual... It looks a lot like a Prison Architect if you've ever played that. Yeah, so just very simplistic sort simplistic of 2D sort graphics. Of, yeah. So like, and then you just set your your folks with priorities, and sometimes you, if you really want to, you can tell them to do individual things. You're defending from raiders. You're building stuff for the most part, and you're just kind of observing. That sounds kind of like black and white. I mean, but the the, the so the complication here is that every each of the characters that you have has a complex psychology hmm. for a video game and yeah. we'll do different things based on that um and i've heard stories about people who create artwork and stuff and you can read descriptions of the artwork that they create oh wow. so you'll know that they're like working on a painting or something and or a statue that and sounds really cool you get to and yeah and so you it's literally it says like right on there it's a narrative creator mm. you're given characters and you're given a certain number of parameters and you kind of assign them what to do on a regular basis um so I, I said, like I said, I played for an hour and a half and no real stories emerged except for one of my guys for reasons I do not understand decided to continue walking, even though I told him not to, to continue walking south. He loves walking. Until he got to a giant lake and then he sat at the lake for a while while everybody else was asleep and then got up and began walking back and just like 
begin, like, I couldn't tell what was going on, but, like, there all these little puddles were appearing, appearing around him, like, these green puddles, and I just, like, hovered over him, and it just said his status was vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the moment. That I would was never kind of, sell that back. That was the, well, this was the crux of it, is that it had taken me an hour and a half, and this was the most interesting thing that had happened so far. And I realized, like, this is cool, but I think I'd much rather listen to, like, an Idle Thumbs story yeah, about somebody this. else can somebody else is going me. to have better stories and i mean that guy was puking that's hilarious yeah, i mean i went i went huh, he's vomiting <laughs> i wonder why and then i realized i just really wanted to know why and i wasn't sure how to fa- find out the story you of why he was puking i don't think maybe i couldn't it might have, have been impossible together from a bunch of different evidence yeah, right? and i realized that there was just too much there because i also had a bunch of stuff to mine and i had to build I had to refuel the stove and I didn't even know how to refuel the stove. Okay. And so, and like the lamp was running light and like someone had a scar on their neck that was itching literally. And it was like, do I have to worry about this? Yeah. And I was just overwhelmed and I was like, this is too much management for me. So, uh, yeah, I returned that and I started playing more darkest dungeon. Oh yeah. That's a cool game. I've heard that. So what is that game exactly? Um, it's by this company called red hook and it's a, a game where you, send groups of like kind of like f- uh, groups of four adventurers into these dark dungeons where they have to ba- oh, battle some of like the darkest like dungeons. hp lovecraft style like creatures and it, it's like a turn-based strategy game it's kind of like um xcom but played on just like a two-dimensional plane okay that uh, sounds very good yeah, I mean, but I mean, like, literally two-dimensional, not like, uh, it's not even mimicking. It's it, it, it's top-down like Zelda. No, it's not top-down. Oh. It's it's a side-scrolling two-dimensional plane. Um, I don't so know what every, to make of that. So all that matters is, like, the order that your four characters are in. Weird. So there's there's a lot... It's, it's a pretty simple game to get. Uh, but... And it's fun. It's not quite as fun as, as XCOM. But the interesting thing that it does is that your characters are always battling for their sanity. So you're always trying to manage um, kind of like their stress levels as well as like very their eternal darkness relief. Yes, it is. But not with the it's not like trying to mess with you in the sort of psychomantis way that eternal darkness is. Right. It's just the characters. Yeah. Can lose it. And it is like at the end of the day, it becomes just kind of like a just one more one more mission way in the way that XCOM is. OK. But not as dynamic and the characters aren't as interesting and it's not as it's not as engaging because you don't have the full map that you're kind of like crawling over. Yeah. Your options are more limited, but it does have, it it sounds like it's the, uh, panic mechanic from XCOM where if your character is under duress, they can freak out, maybe kill some of their teammates or just otherwise be useless. But that's just one part of XCOM. And this sounds like it's really the focal point here. Yeah. And instead of just having panic, you have hundreds of different ailments or psychological neuroses that they can come down with all of which affect stats in minor ways. So that's where the number crunching really comes in is that there's just a lot of stats but the thing that doesn't that I don't dig quite as much as XCOM is that this is less of a turn-based strategy game on a board like XCOM is, and it's much more like uh, an old-school Final Fantasy game where you just have four characters on okay. a board and you're fighting. But except for that, the order that those characters are in and you can shuffle them around matters for attack and um, different reasons. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's not a bad game. It's a uh, it's fun. It's fun. It's just not XCOM. Well, very few things are. 
Um, so I played a few other things. I played this game called Mini Metro too. Have you heard of that? I have not. Oh, Mini, you like Mini Metro? Mini Metro is a game where you manage subways. Oh, that sounds is, great, and it's gorgeous because it just looks like like a subway map. Oh, it's really cool. Um, I need to play it more. I'm not 100 percent sure how it works most of the time, but I'm just like really enthralled with it. It's just like. It's like kind of just adorable. Can you get it for phones? That it's on like phones. Yeah, it's on phones. Oh, I got to get that. Yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect. I'm going to download it's that right now. Clearly, it's, it was like a buck. It blew my mind. It is, it's so good. It's, it's taking a lot for me not to pick up my phone right now. Yeah, and I know. Yeah, it's, it's really good. I highly recommend this. Um, I don't, again, like I said, I don't fully understand it, but it is like if, you, if managing subways doesn't sound fun to you, but you have like an artistic bone in your body, this looks like the, it's like playing with the coolest subway map that you have ever yeah. seen. And it is very, it is very simple management. You're not getting into like a deep economy or anything like that. Uh, he actually, the person who figured out that you didn't need to make subway maps rec- like actually recreate the distance between stations died only a couple years ago or something. Oh. And it was one of those things where when I read that that was one of his claims to fame, uh, it blew my mind because it was it's one of those things that you take for granted, right? The, yeah, the subway 100%. map is just equidistant things that say the next stop is this and the one after that is this and the distance doesn't matter. But it doesn't work like any other map. Uh, it's it's totally abstracted in a way that is really efficient but doesn't really tell you exactly where you're going unless you know where the stops are. Yeah. But it's smart because you can fit it on a sign. And I remember just having that be this like, Oh, this was a design problem that I didn't even realize was a design problem. Yeah, and that's why they paid him the big bucks. I assume. I assume he probably made yeah. nothing. <laughs> well, I, I think he was otherwise gamefully employed. Uh, the only other game that I played uh, was uh, Goroga or Goragoa. 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 Goragoa, I want to say, is the most metal name for anything. Ever. And the least metal game. Yes. But I you just have I I see it on my iPhone screen and I read it like That really hurts my throat. Scream. <laughs> um yeah, Gorgoa. I also played Gorgoa. Yeah, what'd you think of it? This I is, didn't oh, finish it. I should it. just say, this is a game by Jason Roberts. I played uh, the majority of Gorgoa, and I have not gone back to it, mainly because I should have just done it in one sitting, and I didn't, and I haven't had yeah. a good opportunity to do it again and wrap it up. It's okay. It's a puzzle game. It has the best iPhone icon of anything I own, and it costs $5 on the iPhone, and that's a totally reasonable price. This game has the best icon on the iphone with i played it on the switch and it has a really great icon for the switch too i mean i assume it's the same icon but that's actually a good way to summarize this game it is the best icon you will ever have yep and i mean this is a it's a beautifully drawn game it's actually all hand-drawn it apparently took like seven years to make or something it like that It looks expensive and time-consuming yeah um even though it was made by one guy it, it was, plays okay i think it plays wonderfully i just think that like it is more intricately drawn than it is designed occasionally but it's still designed really really beautifully but not as intricately there are set piece puzzles that are cool in this game i think that it suffers from a problem of being really cool looking having interesting mechanics basically this is one of those slide puzzles that you used to play 
when you were a kid that was like little plastic tiles and they would get all mixed up and then you would try and sort them out. Except what if sometimes when you slid one of those slide tiles, it slid off of the background and there was a hole in it that you could place over other tiles. Uh, it's this yeah. weird like layered storybook thing that's going on. It's a, it's a, it's, it's like a pop-up book in, in 4d. Yeah. It's, it's very, I'm actually, I'm really proud of the four dimensional pop-up book. It's okay. I think, I mean, I think it's really cool. It had moments where I would, I had a lot of moments where I'd go, huh, cool. It, I did that. It I did delivers oh, that. Cool. Yes. It, it definitely makes you go, huh, that's neat. As a puzzle the game. problem is, oh, go ahead. Well, What's no, go ahead. Tell I was going to say as a puzzle game, I know it's not particularly hard because I was able to beat it and I'm not particularly good at puzzle games. I don't think that the but, puzzle difficulty is my problem. It's just that the, what is interactive is rarely clear and then it ends up being like pinging you with these little dots on it like this is an interactive thing and it just feels like there is a much better version of this mechanic that you can is, turn off the pinging well sure but i need the pinging because it's never clear what i can interact with so mm. it's this it's this push and pull where i don't think that it's the best implementation of the ideas but the ideas themselves are very good and there are four like set piece puzzles in it that seem very good yeah so it's, it's also, fine. It's also worth noting that it is a narrative slide pushing yes. puzzle game. Like if threes had a story, uh, not at all like that. But. Th- threes has a story and it's that the blocks want to merge. Yeah. They love it. They're they so love excited. The union. Yes, it they, feels good. They want to get together. Uh, and you're there to provide that. You are, you are the millionaire matchmaker for the, the threes icons. I love threes. I played a lot of threes. Did you? <laughs> yeah, of course I did. I was on a plane. Man, that'll get it done. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really liked Gorgo. I mean, if you, it's it's fifteen dollars on the Switch, which is a steep price. But if you have a shiny new iPhone ten, if you have any iPhone, you can play it. I played it on my yeah. six, actually. Yeah, play it on, but play it on anything. And by, I imagine it especially looks good on an iPhone ten. It probably does. We should probably turn it on. We should. Pro- yeah, let's do that later. Yeah, we will. Um, so that's that's everything you played. That's everything I remember playing. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you black out sometimes because you have a gaming <laughs> disorder and you don't even know what happened. Um, I had a Christmas that I would say could be described as a commercial for Nintendo Switch. <laughs> oh, I, go, do go on. I brought the Switch to Florida, where my family is. Um, traditionally, my cousin uh, would always have the like Microsoft console. Uh, and so he had all of the, the manly man games. And I would always roll... You came in with your fae little switch and it's well, snipper clips. So I would always walk up... This is historically. Yes, historically. With the GameCube, I would bring it so we could play Smash. And we'd always play Smash Brothers. There is no Smash Brothers on the Switch. But I, I, I knew he would enjoy this, right? Because he has two kids now and he hasn't been playing video games. Um, so I brought the Switch with the dock, all that stuff. They have like a 65-inch television. We hooked it up the first night and just started playing zelda and everything and it was one of those things where was it just the two of you it was the two of us mm-hmm. and uh my sister's boyfriend okay. who also really wanted to play zelda yeah and we started out and we just flipped through all the games i had and we were playing splatoon uh which was having some server issues which was unfortunate but mm. we were playing some splatoon and both of them were just like this is really clever like there was just this weird thing where it was just the switch endeared itself to everyone very quickly. Then I downloaded Mario Kart and we played every course in Mario Kart at least once as a group. It became this the only thing we did is play Mario Kart. Uh and but I'm we played, the one with the addiction. 
Yeah, truly. We played a lot of Zelda. Uh, so every night, <laughs> everybody would go to sleep, and then the three of us would just sit there and play Zelda. We started a new game and just, you know, went off and explored. How would you trade off? Uh, either on a death or when you just kind of... Yeah, I feel like it. Yeah, when it was right. When it, yeah, uh, it's true. When you when your gamer sense told you it was right. <laughs> yes. Okay, so I, this gave me a couple observations. One, that game is amazing. That game is incredible, and everyone who comes into contact with it just loves it. Uh, and apparently, they they were still there, parts of my family, after I left, and my cousin just kept being like, man, that Switch was really good. <laughs> um, like, it, it's one of those things where uh, it's easy to forget what a novel and special thing the Switch is until you set it up in front of somebody who has not seen that this tiny box is going to dump that much Zelda into this huge screen. Yeah, it's a fire hose of Zelda. It's incredible. Um, the other thing that I learned, though, is that I think that as people who play a lot of video games, we have a very mistaken understanding of Zelda's difficulty. And I think that one of the critiques that I know you leveled at Zelda, and I, I agree with it in a lot of ways, is that there is a point at which the difficulty kind of levels out. I don't think that's true for everyone. Mm. And I think that you and I probably have a pretty warped understanding about how easy the opening section of Zelda is even. Well, uh, I think the game is very difficult in the beginning. I still think it would level out for anyone inherently. I think it would, but I think less than you imagine. It would and level out later for different it's people. It's more punishing up front than I recall when it's people who don't play a lot of video games, which yeah. I think is an enormous part of the Zelda playing populace. I think that there's a huge number of people for whom Zelda is games, which is great. The, guess what? They got a good one. <laughs> yeah. But it's, uh, you know, we would struggle. And what was fun about it is like, we'd all, you know, be up there and uh, everybody else would be like slowly drifting off and going to sleep. And then my sister's boyfriend turns to me and goes, I'm really just hanging out so we can play Zelda. And I said, oh, I'm just hanging out so we can play Zelda too. And then we hear on the steps coming up my cousin and he's walking up and he's just got like three beers. <laughs> uh, and it was just such a fun thing because we were all united and wanting to play Zelda. But then we were all really terrible. And it's super enjoyable when you're just constantly trying to push the limits of what you can do in it. Failure is fun when yeah. you have a fun game. Well, the other thing a good is game makes failure fun. Seeing other people play Zelda really highlights how impressive its systems are. Cause when I played Zelda, I maybe used the ice power twice. Yeah. yeah. We I were, forget, I forget about that all the time. We were using the ice power. We were like, well, Oh wait, we got this river. I'll make the ice block, put a log against it. Now I'm fording the river and like all these weird things where I would never think of these things, but then, other people look at it and they immediately go, well, we got the ice. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, we, we have the ice. Oh, man. I, I was not really jealous of this experience of yours up until just now because that is very true is that I always default to how can I solve this with bombs, if anything. Well, and, and having it with... Or magnetism. Having three people there, you get a lot of that because, you know, my cousin Mike wants, just wanted to fight. Yeah. Like, really is enjoying the combat. And my sister's boyfriend was extremely into... Um, just exploring, like just wanted to kind of climb stuff or whatever. Yeah. And I was just kind of hanging out and occasionally playing or whatever. Yeah. But 
the, you, when you have those two sides of something and so there's a problem and it's, we're, we're just sort of leisurely progressing. Right. But when you're trading off, so something would happen, we kind of go through a section, maybe somebody dies and then it's just the controller has passed and the other person approaches it entirely differently. And that's amazing. That's so cool. Um, the other thing that happened is on the plane, I tamed the Clydesdale horse in Zelda, oh. which is like three times the size of the other horses. Yeah. And has unlimited stamina. Oh, I, I know. Oh, I'd never gotten it. Oh, I'd done that before. It's awesome. I played a lot of Zelda. As you can see, if you look at my Switch <sighs> account. In any case, players. the Switch is, I, I think. Do, are they going out and buying Switches now? I think that they might if the Switch costs $200. You know what I mean? I think yeah. that the, the barrier to entry is a little high right now. There's a guy at work, though, who had the exact same experience, um, mm. but he was the cousin, right? And he came in, and he's buying a Switch. So it's, it's arguably the best advertisement for a Switch is just actually well, knowing someone who brings it to the Christmas. And suddenly you're playing Mario Kart, and you have enough controllers. Like, you're yeah. just immediately doing it. You actually lived out. The ad. What I, what, you, no, you lived you lived out the ad. You lived out my last podcast, the one that I did alone, where yes. I talked about co-op. And the best oh. part of co-op is when you're just passing the controller. It's, it's not so playing true. together. It's, you know, it's well, not... And then on the plane, my girlfriend and I played Mario Kart against each other. Hey, how was that? It was awesome. Wait, were, were you in seats together? Did you have somebody between you? <laughs> that would have been incredible if we just used yeah. their tray table. Um, no, we, we just sat there next to each other and we just played it on the Switch with the two controllers did and the, it was super fun. Did the person in the seat, sharing a seat with you guys, did they react at all? No, they didn't say, like, I got next or anything, <laughs> which is the dream. <laughs> that, that is the commercial. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> that totally is. That is the commercial. Um, it was super cool and it really affirmed for me that I think the Switch, if Nintendo just starts putting out back catalog games on it. Yeah. The Switch is de facto the greatest video game console that anyone has made to date. Uh, to date. I don't disagree with that. It's insane. I, the games on yeah. it right now make a case for that, and there's the potential that very soon you will just be able to play every old Nintendo game on it. Once you start looking at it like that, it it can't lose. It's amazing. It's such a cool thing. I spent my Christmas with... um. A bunch of youngsters, a one-year-old, a three-year-old, and a, a four-year-old. And Casuals. I really wanted... Yeah, noobs, for sure. And I really wanted to bring my Switch. And all I could think about was the idea that someone wouldn't want a child of that age playing a video game. I didn't want to be put in the situation where I had to say, like, oh, no, 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 I totally get it. I get it. It's not a big deal. <laughs> and then you get and to I play in the corner by yourself. really disappointed. Well, I've... <laughs> Also been told stories recently by by friends about like people playing switches at weddings and stuff. <laughs> like some friends of mine went to a wedding and apparently there was someone at the wedding who was just like hanging out like in a corner on his own playing switch. And <laughs> this is our dark future and I love this it. This is what I imagine. Like you remember that really dumb meme that was like what people think I do at work. Yes. What my mom thinks. Like my fear is that like because <laughs> I saw a dude with a switch on on my flight back and oh, he was yeah. sitting there playing Skyrim and he had an anime T-shirt on and it didn't fit him. The T-shirt didn't fit him. It was a large, no, large it, oversized it, Goku. It was shirt. a large, but it was yeah, pretty much. And and like he was wearing like sweatpants and like I'm pretty sure his shoes didn't match. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you don't want you you feel he like is not the ad. Other people with the gaming disorder make you feel ashamed of your own gaming disorder. Oh, 100%. And, yeah. But I'm also just like I don't like I really wanted to bring the Switch home, but it just did not feel appropriate. I think the only way we can make it clear to everyone that everybody loves video games is just by playing the Switch everywhere and often. Well, I think that this brings up an interesting thing is that you only played the Switch apparently with well with, with your with your fiance, but also with three grown men. Uh, no, uh, my oh, my you... sister and my cousin, uh, who is also a lady, uh, they were very into Mario Kart. Oh, okay, and we that's like well, all we did together. And then also we played Snipper Clips, and Snipper Clips is super. Snipper Clips would be the game to play, but um, I mean, I th- I think that like, and that's probably even more the ad than three men playing Zelda. So, but I think that but... what's great about the Switch is that it appeals to all of these groups as, as do, I mean, yeah, I mean, it appeals to people who would consider themselves casual gamers or not necessarily gamers. And the games, the games Um, scale with how hardcore you want to be. Certainly. And Zelda itself scales with how hardcore you want to be, which is amazing about Zelda. But yeah, maybe next time I'll just bite that bullet and not, not worry about how, what everybody else thinks. There you go. Uh, so that was my gaming experience, and it was amazing. That sounds like a good time. Matt, what was your favorite non-gaming thing of the holiday season? Um, I was doing some paintings for the holidays as gifts. Cool. And uh, when I paint, sometimes I like to put on a TV show or something like that. So I started watching the first season of Outlander. Have you heard of Outlander? I have. It's a TV show in stars. It's based on a series of novels about a woman who travels from like post-war Scotland back in time to 18th century Scotland um, during the uh, Jacobite uprising, basically. Uh, I started watching this while I was painting and I soon put my paints away (laughs) (laughs) and fell deep into it. Um, I've actually watched like two and a half. I've now, or I've, I've seen halfway through season three, which I think just wrapped earlier, earlier in December. Um, Seasons two and three. Eh. Season one of Outlander is incredible. Right. It is just like, I mean, it, it doesn't entirely wrap up the story, but it like, it, its arc is so fantastic. Like a season one Game of Thrones situation. Yes. Although much slower and much more concentrated. And it's like, instead of it being kind of a murder mystery, it is really just about like two people who are kind of like falling in love. Oh, that's good. And then also there's like a sadist. Um, <laughs> the like the second to last episode of the first season. The last episode is only so so, but the second to last episode of the first season is just like dis- bonkers, disturbing. Like I've, it is I've just, heard that. Yeah, but like the first three episodes are just like very cozy and interesting, and like the middle episodes, it's it's all just very good. I'm not I'm not going to dissect it. It's just it's very good. I would I was surprised by how much I liked it and mm-hmm. how much I kind of like we'll probably continue to think of it as like a touchstone for what is a really good first season of television. Yeah. Which is not what I was expecting alongside like first season of game of Thrones. Yeah. I, mine is always lost. Especially where they had no idea what they were doing, but by virtue of that, it felt really contained and they had just enough idea. Like they did just, I shouldn't have said that as a pejorative. I did not mean that as a pejorative, but you're not wrong. Yeah. And I mean, I think that there, there can be distinct advantages to having no idea what the fuck you're doing. Always. Yeah. See also this podcast. (laughs) Uh, So (laughs) my thing, uh, is the Microsoft connect, (laughs) um, which I would not call a gaming thing. (laughs) 
Fair enough. Uh, so about 10 years ago, Microsoft made the Kinect, and it was a total failure because they tried to apply it to video games. Has that been a decade? It's close to it, man. Damn. Also, it was just not good. Uh, it didn't work, and it was this thing that was supposed to scan your body, be a camera that like allowed the computer to know who you were, what you were doing, and do things based on that. And that didn't really work. And as of this fall, uh, Apple has put the exact same technology into a phone. <laughs> is it is it really the exact same technology? It is, actually. Okay. I believe that Apple actually purchased the company or had something to do with the company that made the original Connect, and the second Connect was not them. Mm. But, like, it is, it's the same tech. It's the IR blaster. It's all that. So this is a camera. It's on the front of the iPhone 10, the stupid expensive iPhone. But it scans your face, it tracks your face, and it recognizes you. And every phone in the future will have this. And I think, more, moreover, this will be a very common feature on just all technology. The idea that it's aware of who you are and it can see you, which is a little disturbing, um, depending on how it's implemented. But there's something really cool about technology that knows who you are and responds in kind. Um, and it lets you do a lot of neat things when a phone knows that you're looking at it. And so, like, if an alarm goes off on this phone and you look at it, it dims the sound, <laughs> which is so smart, right? Yeah. Like, that's, and that's so silly. And everything about this type of technology is silly, minor quality of life improvements. But it turns out that we are at a stage with a lot of technology where those improvements kind of add up to a greater whole, where suddenly your experience with technology is more seamless. Because it's less of you being like, machine, do this thing for me. And more of the machine being like, hey, it's you. I know what you like. Yeah, let's do this thing together. And that's cool and strange. And so I've just uh, gotten this phone recently, but I'm really enjoying the surreal experience of a phone that knows who I am. So I'm excited to see that just everywhere. And good on Microsoft for trying. (laughs) Good on Apple for executing. Uh, It seems like a, a move past the Alexa and if there's one thing that I learned this Christmas is that everyone in my family, I mean, like literally everyone is super into Alexa, Amazon except me is dominant. Well, so I really like my Alexa. I have a, a, a Echo Dot and I really like it. The little one. Um, now, I was at the Amazon store yesterday and uh, one of the things we always do with our uh, Alexa uh, unit is ask it the time because we don't have a wall clock. <laughs> And I'm wearing a watch, and I'll just be like, Alexa, what time is it? And then before Alexa responds, my girlfriend will be like, 5.30. I'll be like, thank you. (laughs) Um, Alexa, thank you. Thank you. But we both both do this. We ask it that all the time. And they have a new one that's a little, uh, like, nightside clock. Yeah. Nightstand clock. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. I should go look into that, right? Because I like having the Alexa. I should check this out. And I walk in. I'm asking the guy about it. He's like, oh, yeah, it's a clock. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. And then he goes, and you can video chat on it. And I said, wait, there's a camera on this? And he said, yeah. And people could just drop in and like watch you whenever. The drop-in. And I said, the drop-in is oh, a weird thing. I don't want this at all. Like, to the, to the salesperson, I, like, said this out loud. And he goes, Okay. <laughs> And that was the end of my time in the Amazon store. And uh, I understand that I just extolled the virtues of having a camera on everything and having things be aware of who you are. Um, but I don't like that when it's one of these devices, the sole purpose of which is to send information to the, the cloud. The fact that they call it a drop-in That's weird. is mind-boggling. Because that is, I've never heard anybody use the term drop-in 
is in in like a positive way. Unless you're dropping into a half pipe to do some sick 900s. You know what I'm saying, Tony? And with that note, we're out of here. <laughs>